0: Lord, we thank you for the radical love that you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. A love that extends to each and every person. God, as you call Levi to be your disciple, one who was um, looked down upon, to say the least, uh, by his peers, God, may it be a reminder to us uh, that you are eager for each and every one to follow you, no matter our past, no matter our present, as long as we uh, trust and follow you. So Lord, help us to do that this morning. Show us the way, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning's passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, is one of the most well-known from the book. It's often quoted, uh, and it's one that's really uh, pretty inspirational in many ways. But sometimes, uh, like other things that are pulled out of context, we we can forget where it came from and why. Um, So today, our hope is to explore this and to consider uh, the connections that it has to the topic of discipleship. Um, Here at Grace, we believe that there are really three things that make a disciple. Um, A disciple is someone who knows Jesus. Someone who grows in relationship with him. Uh, and someone who goes out to share the love of God with others. Um, with our kids' worship, we often just boil it down to know, grow, and go. Um, here at Grace, it's, it's our hope um, that we make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, you get it. Um, And the notions of sharing and growing in faith are all throughout our passage today. So I want to invite you to turn there with me um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the second half of the chapter. Um, It's on page 957 in the Blue Bibles, if you'd like to turn there with me. On the screen, I have uh, a really basic outline. Uh, Only two points this week, which is uh, a nice refresher, I think, for some. The first is this. The first part of our passage more or less can be boiled down to this title. Be all things to all people, sort of. More on that in a minute. Um, Second, live purposefully. Um, Let's read the first part of the first section. Uh, I'm gonna read it from the message translation, which if you're looking in the Blue Bible, they don't necessarily match up so easily, but you'll see it on the screen uh, and you can compare if you'd like. Even though... I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone. I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious. Meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists. The defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Now, it may not be immediately obvious, but Paul is continuing to develop a theme that we've explored over the last couple of weeks. He's inviting the people in Corinth to lay down their rights for the benefit of others. Paul is describing here how he uses his freedom in Christ, not for himself, not for his benefit, but for the benefit of others. Um, Paul explains that he engages with a wide variety of people, people with all sorts of different lifestyles and values, many of whom uh, and many of which are different than his own personal ones, his own personal preferences. And as he does this, he does everything he can to be accommodating. He tries to see the world as they see the world. And he even lets go of the privileges that might be due to him, but that if he were to enact them, um, would become a barrier to the message, them receiving the good news of Christ. Uh, The Africa Bible commentary explains it this way. Paul's guiding principle was to win as many people as possible. That is why he did not use his rights and made himself a slave to everyone. His self-denying love which led him to surrender even privileges he was entitled to contrasts with the Corinthians' knowledge, which they boasted about and they clung to, even if it might harm others. Now, uh, it's helpful to remember um, that this accommodation, this adaptation of Paul, was not limitless. I think he does a a wonderful job of avoiding two pitfalls that are easy for you and I to fall into. The first is this, Paul never waters down the message of the gospel. He never tries to conceal the difficult parts of it in order to maybe trick people into believing. Second, um, Paul never demonstrates any kind of moral laxity. Now previously he was a Pharisee and as we saw in our gospel passage, Pharisees didn't spend time with those they considered immoral. But Paul has, in Christ, gained a new freedom which allows him to spend time to be around people who do immoral things even in his presence without fear of being contaminated by them somehow. In that way, Paul is free. But his freedom never leads him to participate in these immoral activities instead to be near to show love and acceptance of these people and to invite them and to further life in Christ. Um, We can see a little bit of this in the second half of the passage. Take a look. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did it all because of this message, because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I think Paul would approve our sermon series title, Walk the Talk, even if it is a little cheesy. Paul accommodates his life to the benefit of his hearers, not to be self-indulgent. And in doing this, Paul is ultimately imitating Jesus, who we saw in our gospel passage this morning often got flack for the company he chose to uh, surround himself with. Now, Jesus um, is peculiar, I think. In many ways. And one thing my mentor often says about him is this. He says, people totally unlike Jesus, liked him. It's a beautiful thing, right? Jesus was constantly inviting people to repent, to believe, to amend their life. But he did it in a way that never came off as self-righteous. Holier than thou. Difficult to be around. Right? He was approachable. Loving and kind, even as he continued to hold out the good news. Paul is trying to do the same. The passage continues um, kind of in the next section, and we get a new metaphor. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. Um, Paul is keenly aware of the great value that the Corinthians place on athletic achievement. I think he would probably be a good preacher to modern day, maybe even to me especially. He takes uh, from them an example that would be commonly known. See, the Isthmus Games, were second only to the Olympics at that time. And he chooses a, a metaphor from that was familiar to them. When he likens being a faithful follower of Christ to running a race. Runners, he says, must run with intention. What's the point of running a race if you're not trying to win? Athletes make a great deal of sacrifices. They exhibit great self-control in order that they may gain a prize, which is here today and forgotten tomorrow. How much more should we, who eagerly desire to one day hear our Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. How much more should we sacrifice all in pursuit of this aim? let's read the final part of our passage. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's metaphor takes two important shifts here. First, he likens running aimlessly to boxing the air, hoping for a knockout. Don't worry, I'm all out of rocky references for today. <laughs> Paul is saying that he's not going to waste his time doing things that are frivolous, he's going to invest in the things that which count and which lead towards his objective. The second shift in his metaphor, however, is maybe a little more subtle. Paul goes from talking about an external opponent, say another runner in the race, to an internal one. Paul's discipline is designed to keep himself in check, not others. He's not primarily worried about overcoming others running faster, per se. He's worried about overcoming his own selfish and sinful desires, which might take him off course. Um, We're going to pick up that final warning about being disqualified uh, next week. Um, The next passage really um, speaks to this a fair bit. So you can kind of go, we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, But for now, we're going to just kind of end on this sort of high note. Go for the goal. Trust in the Lord. Be a disciple of Christ. Um, I'd like to conclude with an observation uh, from my work at the Old School Makerspace. Uh, As Joel mentioned just a minute ago, the Old School Makerspace is a a center for the community, a place where we can invite folks to come, people who have interest in woodworking, ceramics, painting, um, stained glass, uh, various other things. Um, And it's a place where we can share God's love in a a tangible way um, through the work that we do together. One of the most special and probably unexpected things that I've experienced in this work is seeing people who came to us as novices and who are now starting to teach beginner level classes in our space Um, these people within the last within the last five years have discovered a passion for something whether it's woodworking or ceramics or painting They've invested time and energy and effort to grow in their craft. And um, after doing a little convincing, we've gotten to actually start teaching some of our classes. I think we have um, an uh, an erroneous idea that we have to be seasoned veterans to teach. But the reality is these new teachers, they know what it's like to learn something new. They know this struggle. They just did it like a couple years ago. And so they're able to relate and connect with beginners in a special way. Um, They, in the process of teaching, actually start to come to realize all the things they've learned, things that they weren't even aware that they had picked up over the last couple of years. And even through the process of teaching, they learn more. It's a beautiful thing. Um, And I think it relates pretty directly to the act of discipleship. Um, sharing your faith, teaching others what you have been taught is not something you have to wait to do until later, until you uh, arrive as a Christian. Moreover, growing in faith is not a solitary activity. It takes community connection. It's our hope um, here at Grace that as you engage in the discipleship classes and the groups that are offered here and across the city because there's so many good things around the city. Uh, it's our hope that you will continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will invest in others what has been invested in you. If we're gonna do this, it's going to take intentionality. There's so much competing for our time and our intention. But just as Paul said today, the, the prize we seek, it's not perishable. It's eternal. And so um, this morning, the invitation is to pray that God would help us um, to see through the clutter, um, to know what it is he's inviting us to, and to invest um, both in our walk with him and in that of others. Let's pray together. Um, dear God, we thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel. Um, we thank you that it is something that uh, when we receive it fully, it overflows from our lives. Sometimes in program, uh, activities that are scheduled and, and programs, and then oftentimes in just organic ways uh, as we go about our days. Lord, help us um, to invest fully in the kingdom of God, to know what that looks like for us in this particular season where we find ourselves. Um, would you help us not to be overwhelmed, not to be anxious by all there is to do, but to discern your still small voice that guides us uh, into how we can continue growing Um, knowing, growing, and going. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.